Okay, we're in Romans 15, 5 this morning. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had, so that one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to, br- in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles, other words, you and I, might glorify God for his mercy. And as, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will, pray, uh, I will sing praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol you. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about this before, but imagine you had 24 hours to live. You're in perfect health, but you have 24 hours and it's a fact and you know that that's all you have here on this earth. What would you do? Who would you spend time with? What things would you do or not do possibly? Would you spend time with family or friends? Say certain things to certain people. I love you. I'm proud of you. Or maybe tell off a few people. Even, you know, harboring that. uh, Okay, that was a joke. But not really. But, you know, hopefully that's not what you'd be thinking about. Now, why would I bring this up? Well, as, as I was thinking about Christ, I remembered that he knew when his death was coming. He told his disciples, this is the last time I will be with you. And this is a really weird thing because the gospels tell us what he did on his last day. In John 17, one of his last prayers, his final prayer for the disciples, he says over and over and over to them multiple times that they may be one and have unity. And he says it so that there may be one as we are one. And then he prays for us, in other words, you and I for those that would come later. And he says that, the, that we would have unity, that we would be like one, like him and the Father. And this is huge when you think about all the things that he could have been praying about. I mean, think about all the things, you know, all the wars that are coming, all the destruction that people, you know, in the human heart and, and the way we treat each other, all the negative things that would happen. And he's praying that we would be one. And this is kind of the theme that we've been hitting in 13 and 14 and 15 uh, of Romans that, uh, you know, he keeps going back to that, the way we treat each other, the things that we say to each other. You know, this list that he could have been praying about could have been a mile long, but he kept repeating the same thing. Now, when God repeats something over and over, that's kind of a clue to us that we should listen a little bit, that we should pay attention, that we would be one like you and I, Father. That's what he prayed. You see, He knows that if we're united, we can accomplish great things through the Father in heaven. He knew that if we were united, we could have a great effect on this world. He knew that if we were united, that when the world persecuted us, we would stick together. He knew that there would also be a positive thing to following him. See, during that time, everybody believed in God. 
It's only as of late that, we, that you know, the new term, the atheist, came, well, it's not really a new term. It's been from all back then, but the, the original term of atheist meant the Jews and the, and the, uh, and the Messianic Christians, the, the, the Messiah believers, the ones that believed in Jesus Christ, because they only believed in one God, so therefore they were atheists. And now the, the term has really changed, because they believed in so many different gods. They had all sorts of statues around so he wanted them to believe in the right God. He wanted them to believe because that God was having an effect on this world and all sorts of people. But also, when we are unified, it shows God's effect on this world and God's results. With great ease and, and grace, when there should be tension and problems. See, the world is watching us as Christians and he prays, Jesus prays that we would be unified, that we would be one. Now, after his death and his resurrection, his ascension up to heaven, you see the disciples working very hard to obey this prayer. And the Holy Spirit is right there trying to help them along on that. But, you know, as they're following that, they, they stayed together. They didn't really scatter. They were all in the upper room. They were in one accord, it says. And even with these strong personalities, and we talked about the sons of thunder and, and the different personalities of, you know, James and John and Peter and all these guys, but they were one. And then we see in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit hit them, and they came out in one voice, but then different languages. And they were teaching all these different people in their own languages. And we see the Holy Spirit there based on unity and based in power of God. And everyone in Jerusalem could see how powerful this God was. The ruling party, the Sanhedrin, they basically said, well, if we can't stop them. And we couldn't stop them when they were with Jesus. And they recognized the power of Christ. So during this time, the, the church grew rapidly, and the leadership team was all on the same page. And we know how hard that can be. I mean, Lisa and I, we, we, we work really hard with our two boys to stay on the same page. If I say something to Brandon, I tell Lisa, this is what I told Brandon because I want her to say the same thing. Or if she says that, it, it's a lot easier parenting when both parents are trying to stay on the same page, right? When you're off kilter, when you're not on the same page, it can be a mess. And this is what he's saying. They were all on the same page. When Jesus was around only two or three days, they were on their own. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, they stayed together. It was and it is so important that we live out the prayer in John 17. And Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to do just that. And if we would stop you know, ignoring the Holy Spirit when he prompts us. You know, there's times when I start off on something, at least it's just like going, get off of it, just leave it alone. You know, something really irritates me, and I'm like, nah, 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 about it. And she's just like, and, and the Holy Spirit uses her to basically tell me to shut up. You know what I'm saying? Now, she doesn't say it in those words because she's a gracious woman. But I tell you, the Holy Spirit uses each one of us. So sometimes, before we start getting out there in the world and start, nah, 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 we need to talk to each other and have somebody go, oh, don't, you need to get off that. Come on. But for them, it was a collected effort. Now, Wednesday nights, we've been studying church history. And it wasn't long before everyone was scattered. And part of that was the Lord. He scattered everybody out because he wanted the, uh, you know, the good news to go out. But at the same time, everybody started fighting. We read the words of Paul 
We see the, the words of James and, and Peter and all the others, and you sense the struggle that they were having. And they kept saying to each other, or saying to these churches, people, you've got to knock it off. In Galatia, you know, the book of Galatians, in Galatia, they struggled with legalism. They couldn't decide if grace applied to certain people. So apparently grace applied to some people, but not other people. And, and they were struggling with that. So the legalists came in, and they really divided everybody. And Corinth, they couldn't, they couldn't decide what to do with incestuous relationships in the leadership of the church. In other words, the leadership of the church is out there playing around, and they couldn't decide what to do about it. And others were saying, no, 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 we, we got we to gotta deal with this. And other people were going, no, we got to let it go. And they, you know, Paul had to write to them and say, guys, you got to knock this off. In Pergamum, you had believers marrying unbelievers. Now, is this legal? Absolutely. In the law, it's legal. But is it wise? <laughs> not really. Because even though they were instructed not to do it, some, you know, some scholars have said that the church in Rome failed because the believers couldn't, believe, you know, couldn't agree with each other. And they were turning on each other uh, and literally turning each other into the authorities. They had all these different things that were going on. And, and an argument that was so bad that it would turn fellow Christians and family members into the, you know, the government. They would be, you know, ended up being arrested and crucified. Or they, or they you know, fed them to the lions. Talk about a church split, you know. Man. The early church paid a price for their lack of unity. I mean, the ministry, of course continued but the gospel suffered as groups argued since then the you know the the church has struggled with maintaining unity uh, within the body and within the larger sense of the body of of christ and if you've been around church for long you you know how dysfunctional uh, a family can be a church family it's a huge challenge to stay unified You know, it's hard enough within our own church. It's hard enough within our own believers. But you go to, man, I've got to stay unified with the church across town. Well, they don't believe this like we believe, or they don't believe that like we believe. And we start dealing with these small issues. You know, they're, they're, their leaders are weird. They wear robes. I mean, their choir has robes on stage. How, no, you know. You know, who could fellowship with that? You know, I spent a lifetime in church. And all different types of, of churches. And, you know, I was in church before I literally took my first breath of oxygen. I mean, my mom served in the church before I even got in the church. So I've been around it, you know, for, for a long time. And, and I've seen amazing things be accomplished when people are united and they have the same goal with the help of the Holy Spirit. Working together. And it's been amazing. I've also seen how much uh, has been lost when there's disunity. When people divide, when people can't get along and they begin to argue regarding doctrine or strategy or, or how we do this or that, or just maybe, per, you know, conflicting personalities. Because, I mean, we all have a certain personality, right? Do we get along with every other type of personality out there? Absolutely not. I mean, that's just reality. That's just how life is. But when we bring that into a church, and say, well, I'm not going to be unified with them because of their personality. That goes against the very thing that God is trying to do in bringing us together for one cause. I've seen ministry slow to a snail's pace because of that, because of the bickering and the dissension 
and the, you know, the second guessing and the bashing of, of other great ministries out there, groups, groups really majoring on the minor thing. And over the years, churches have split and churches have had problems over the smallest and trivial things. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that we knew a church and we started to go there and, and very quickly we left because... Uh, you know, they'd split years before and these, you know, these two different groups that had once loved each other were trying to come back together and they were making a good effort. And, and, and I mean, what a good testimony that would be. And the, and the paper's already out there writing, you know, the local the papers talking about how these churches are trying to come back together and, 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 you know, to help change the community and stuff. And, but the thing that prevented them from coming back together is how they said the Lord's Prayer because they would repeat the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And, uh, you know, one, one group loved the, the line, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the other line, uh, the other group said, love the forgive us our trespasses. So one group would kind of split, uh, you know, kind of shout out the, the correct version. You know, this is like me and Lisa fighting over which cornbread is the right and correct cornbread for Thanksgiving. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I grew up with the correct type of cornbread, and that's, you know... That's cornbread stuffing, you know. I, I, I said cornbread, I meant stuffing. You know what I'm talking about? Bread stuffing versus cornbread stuffing? I mean, I grew up with cornbread, and that's the correct, you know. But, and this is what, we, we, we fight over the trivious, you know, the, the most, the smallest of things. When our goal should be reaching others for Christ. When our goal should be out there in the community, affecting others. The Apostle Paul makes a case for being, you know, being unified and staying unified. And he uses the, the ultimate example of Jesus Christ himself. Christ lived to unite us. He lived not only to unite us to each other, but also with the Father. I'm going to turn to, or I have my notes, Philippians 2, if you want to turn there. The Apostle Paul teaches them this thing. He says, uh, in Philippians 2, therefore, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in the mind. Now, it has nothing, it says nothing there about one in the same personality, okay? We all have different personalities, but the same spirit and of the same mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but, the, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, this is a taught thing. And those that have children, you need to be teaching your children this. I was very happy this past week to learn that my son, they have different pillars, different things in school that, you know, that they recognize students for. And, and, his son, and at Sundale, he, he got nominated and was awarded the, uh, the Fairness Award for Character Counts because he's always fair. He's trying to put other people before himself. And this is something that we're trying to teach him. But I also told him it wasn't fair that he got the award. So anyway... Um, but, but, you know, that's something that we need to be teaching the different, you know, the different attributes of God and putting other people before yourself. And that helps bring unity. In verse 5, it goes on in Philippians 2. 
in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, when this scripture has been taught to me in the past, it's always been on an individual basis. Hey, Alan, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But now that I've, I've gone through this and the more I've studied this, I see Paul is really talking to the group. It's a group thing. He's saying, hey, group, get together and all of you work out your salvation. The salvation of your organization, of your family, the salvation of your marriage, the salvation of your, the company you work at, whatever group you're involved in, work it out with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. It goes on in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or, uh, grumbling or arguing. Or, you know, I grew up with grumbling or complaining, you know. Uh, that, that's one that we need to write and plast, uh, you know, plaster all over. You know, our car, our back door, around our kids. You know, write it on your hand because we all love that one. We always love to grumble and complain. Uh, do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like them among the uh, shine. Uh, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, and hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul is saying. Everything I've done, I've done to teach you these things, so let's do these things so it's not, not a waste. <coughs> Paul looks at us, the future generations, and says, don't waste what I've done. Hmm. We're supposed to be shining like the stars in the skies. You look up at the stars when you're out camping or, or somewhere, I mean, you really see them, Right? I mean, you really, it's amazing. Down here in the valley, we, we get all the crud from, you know, Northern California. We get all the crud from Southern California. It kind of flows right here through the valley. And, you know, they all complain that it's the cars, but all you got to do is look out at the tractors. And, and don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're the bread, you know, the, I mean, this is where the bread and butter is for, for, for many of the nation, especially the West Coast. But you see all the dust going up. But for some reason, it's the cars. Anyway, that's my big complaining and grumbling. Okay. Um, but I'm just saying that you get out of this mess and you look up and it's amazing. When I go to Canada fishing, I mean, a phenomenal thing. I mean, you look up and, and the, the, you see the Milky Way. It's just an amazing thing. And, and a couple of years ago, we had the Northern Lights come through, which was, was really cool. My wife was so jealous about that, uh, that I got to see it and, and all that. And she, that's one of the things that, are, in a sense, was on her bucket list. But this is how the world is supposed to see us. They're supposed to see us like the stars. They're supposed to go, wow, look at that. Look at how amazing that is. And the northern lights are coming through and they're like, wow, look at that group. Look at what they're, what they're doing. This is what exactly um, many of the churches in Houston did with the hurricane. And <coughs> I'm connected with 
three different churches in, in Houston and, and where I'm from. And, and many of these churches, they went out literally and started literally block by block, one house at a time. Walk to a house, hey, do you need help? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they would just go in and they would just start tearing out the carpet putting it out on the curb, taking out the couches, just clearing out whatever needed to be done. Hey, we need to cut out sheetrock. We'll cut out the sheetrock for you. They did that. And they just, they started going block by block and helping people out. And then when they finished that, a few weeks later, they started phase two. Things started drying out. Hey, do you need help putting sheetrock up? And they just, free labor, just going in saying, what help? They didn't care. Are you a Christian? Do you go to church? Do you do this? Do you do? They didn't care about any of that stuff. They just said, what help do you need? And they were like the stars in the dark sky. Man, they're trying to get people back to normal. Imagine the, 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 you know, what they're saying about the Lord when they go out and do stuff like that. What a response. I'm glad the church is, is here in this world I'm glad the church represents the Father in heaven, unified and humble and serving. And this is what we ought to be within the church. It says, then you will shine like, among them like stars in the sky. Verse 16, you will hold firmly to the word of life. You see, the word of God is important. This is why we study it. This is why we go verse by verse. It's important. We need to serve each other and we need to learn how to love each other so that we will shine in the darkness. And this, this was Jesus' goal for us, and this was his prayer for us, that we would be a unified church. Now, don't get Jesus and, and Paul wrong here. Sometimes there was issues enough that were huge enough that would divide a church, and some issues are big enough that you need to fight about. You know what I'm saying? You need to fight about who, who Jesus is. You need to fight about who God is and, and the Holy Spirit and how those intertwine. We, we need to stand firm, you know, go, go to the Scripture and say, what you're teaching, what you're saying is wrong. Let me show you why. And we stand firm on those things, especially false doctrine. But legalism with no grace is just as bad as false doctrine. And we have to be careful with that. Things that, that separate us over time. But Paul is saying, be sure you've tried to work everything out before you take off. Before you leave an organization. Before you, you say enough is enough. You need to find common ground and reconcile because the kingdom of God takes a hit every time a church splits. Every time people take off. Even if the reasons are good, people are hurt. It's like a marriage doesn't matter what happened. You could be 100% in the right, but you still are hurt, aren't you, when a marriage goes awry? Your children are still hurt in the middle of it. So what do you do? You do everything you can before that happens. In every situation, be slow to split for any disagreement within the body. We need to work to stay unified the final option is to walk away from the table. Now, Jesus at times walked away from the table, if you want to put it in those terms. He did everything he could. Then he said, enough is enough. <clears throat> there was times when, when Jesus was obnoxious, and, and we latch onto those times because we go, whew, okay, I'm, I'm glad I'm in good company because I can be obnoxious. You know what I'm saying? You know, in Luke 14, 1, Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house on the Sabbath to eat. 
Now, we think of the Sabbath as a day of rest, but the, the Jews made so many rules and regulations about the Sabbath that really it was the hardest day of the week to, to literally eat or, or do anything on because of all the rules. Now, he sat in the, in the Pharisee's house, and, and it says here, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of the prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body. That's interesting. They probably drugged this poor guy off the street and said, you're going to eat at our house today because no other day would he ever be found at the Pharisee's house. You know what I'm saying? But because they were trying to trick Jesus, they want to watch through what they, you're coming. And this guy had edema, okay? Uh, it's a, it's a, at least that's what they think. Your body can't get rid of excess fluids. And it, put pre- it puts pressure on your joints and on the nerves. It hurts to sit down. It hurts to stand up. It hurts to, to really move at all. So this person is, is pretty puffy, okay? I mean, it's not something you, you, you walk in, you notice it. Jesus walks up to the guy and he says, you want me to heal you? And the guy's kind of looking around at all the Pharisees and, uh, you know, what do you think the guy said? You think the guy said, well, you know, it's, it is the Sabbath. What are you doing tomorrow? No, no. Jesus walks up to the guy, you know, do you want me to heal you? So Jesus says, yeah, you could imagine the looks were happening. He goes, let me go talk to them. Hey, guys. And they're all like, yeah. And it says here, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. See, Jesus didn't give in to foolishness during his time to keep the unity, you know. He didn't always uh, uh, keep the peace or, or, you know, well, we don't really want to say anything here. We need to keep the unity. I mean, there was times when you have to, when you have to say something. Other times he went out of his way to keep unity for everybody. In Matthew 17, 24, they're in Peter's hometown of Capernaum. It's right there on the coast. Um, and, and Peter's uh, like eight-sided house is there. You can go there and visit uh, today. And, and Peter knows everybody. It's not really a huge town. And uh, the temple tax collector, okay, not the Roman tax collector, but the temple tax collector, he, he had a role, you know. He had the, the, the checkoff list. Who's given to the temple this week? Who hasn't given to the temple? He knows who paid. And it says here in verse 24, after Jesus' disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two-drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked, for whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children and from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to them, but so that you may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out a line, take the, uh, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give, give it to them for my taxes and yours. Now, this story is amazing on about 12 different levels on what's going on there. Jesus did this to keep the peace. Uh, we could go into the whole thing of, 
why Jesus doesn't owe tax and why we pay tax. But, but really, he did this to keep the peace. So, I mean, Jesus had a choice. Be a jerk at the party or pay the temple tax. So how do we know when we give in or press a point? You have to ask a question. Can I fellowship with someone who has bad doctrine? Can I hang out with them? In some cases, the answer is going to be yes, because the bad doctrine is not on a level that needs to split us. some cases, it's going to be no. And we have to go to the Lord. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. The key is, are we close enough to the Holy Spirit to hear His voice? Or do we need the authority in front of us to say, here's the yes and here's the no? We have to operate in the Holy Spirit. Not on our feelings. Because our feelings get us in trouble, don't they? I mean, just... Think of young people and young love and the feelings that happen and where that leads if they're not, you know, if they're not careful. We operate on grace, so we think, well, what would Jesus do? And I mentioned this on, uh, on Wednesday night. You know the bracelets, WWJD? Really, the bracelets would be J-W-N-H-G-H-I-T-S-I-T-F-P, but they couldn't fit it on. You, you know what that stands for? Jesus would not have gotten himself in that situation in the first place. The question is, are, are, we, are we operating in the Holy Spirit? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and to, to lead us? Are we out there on our own? And as the Holy Spirit helps us, because Jesus wasn't always so black and white. The Holy Spirit guides us in those gray areas. Like we talked about alcohol a couple of weeks ago. uh, uh, You know, when is it good to drink alcohol? When is it not good? When is it a sin? When is it not considered a sin? Because alcohol in itself is not a sin, but there are situations where it is a sin and to figure out those situations. If you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, it's online. Go listen to it from a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to go over that again. but, But we have to get to a point where we're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and we do that by spending time with Him. We do that through Bible study. We do that through prayer and seeing God's creation and recognizing Him in it. We do that by hanging out with other Christians and talking about spiritual things. You see, we think if we're not in a Bible study, we don't talk about biblical issues. Man, we need to, we need to discipline ourselves and discipline our mouths so outside the building that we're talking about the Lord also and not just on Sunday mornings. If you want to grow spiritually, you need to talk about spiritual stuff. In any sport, what do you do? You've got to go out there, what does the coach say? Practice, 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 right? If you want to get better, you've got to practice. Well, if you want to get better with God, you've got to talk about spiritual things. You've got to get into the Word. Jesus was so frustrated. Jesus got irritated all the time. In Luke 7, 31. And you've got to remember, where's Jesus from? Heaven, right? So he knows what life should be like. And he says, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you, do, you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he is a demon. 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. You see, no one could please the guys, the, the Pharisees. And he was so frustrated. You know, sometimes we can say, Jesus, man, I understand this. I mean, I try to change, you know, I try to hang out with that church, and they're very dysfunctional there. And they bring out the worst in me. I mean, should I be a Calvinist or should I be an Armenianist? You know, can I read the NIV or should I, you know, go with the, uh, what is it, NASB or the NI, you know, the new NIV or the old NIV or the King James or RSV or can I, can I pick up the message? Can I even, I mean, or, or will I get like lightning strike if I even touch the message, you know, I mean. We fight over the trivials, you know, such small things. Romans 15, 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of the mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had, so that we have one mind and one voice that you may glorify the God and the Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus was praying for, like-mindedness, to think the same, to live in harmony, 21st century called being on the same page. A group of people that are on the same page. Now, do they all have to be singing the same note? No. No. Page has lots of words. The issue is not singing the, the same notes. The issue is are we in harmony with each other? We're not all the same. We have different backgrounds, but our baseline note is Jesus. If we hit that first note right, then we're going to be in harmony with each other. The other church wasn't saying that, you know, the early church, they weren't saying the same thing the same, uh, same way, uh, uh, you know, at the same time all the time. But Jesus was a foundation in their first note, so they were in harmony with each other. They had other people that come along and and said, no, and, and, you know, this is really what was said, and, and, and no, that's not true, and, and stuff. And they said, wait a second, Jesus isn't your baseline. What you're saying doesn't match up to, to what Jesus was about, so no, we, we don't agree with that. Because they were off-key with the rest of the church. So when do you get upset, and when do you let things go? Well, a lot of it has to do with the baseline. And allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us and speak to us as one voice. And then when somebody gets off key, we either say, wait a second, we should be like-minded with each other. Let's talk about this. When the Apostle Paul was teaching in Galatia, it was what Peter was teaching in Jerusalem. But when they got back together, there were some questions. They said, hey, Peter... When you were hanging out with Cornelius, and Cornelius was a Gentile, and that was unheard of for Jews, you know, they're like, isn't he a Gentile? And Peter responds, don't blame me, blame the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit fell on me and told me, and I was hearing the same as he was, and it was the Lord. And you see, here's the deal. Our testimony is wrapped up in our harmony. If the world hears harmony coming out of this building, the world is attracted to that. If the world hears disharmony coming out of the building, then, you know, they'll say, well, man, that sounds like my life already, so why do I want to get mixed up in that? This is why Jesus prayed so many times 
that we would be like-minded, that we would have unity, unity and live in harmony. Now, harmony doesn't mean we sweep things under the carpet. It doesn't mean that we allow someone to bring false doctrine into the church. We don't do that. But it doesn't mean we get in fistfights over it either. We gently and lovingly lead the way. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of, you know, scrub off our rough edges. Recently, I built a, a loft bed for my son in his room. It's like the bunk bed, but it doesn't have the bed underneath, okay? And, you know, the, the one part I dreaded in the whole process was the sanding, okay? Because you've got to start sanding at like 80 or 100 grit, okay? If you know, I mean, that's really rough sanding, you know. And, and then you've got to do it again at 140 or 160, and then you've got to go to 240, and then you stain it. And then you sand the stain with a 400 grit, and then you stain it again. It, uh, the stain and lacquer thing it goes on at the same time. But then you do it again, and you stain it again. It's like, ah. Now, why did I take days and days, because it took days, to do this to every piece of that bed? Well, I know my son. He's going to be hanging off the bed. He's going to be trying to go up and down the ladder. He's going to be hanging on the post. He's going to be hitting it. He's going to do all sorts of things. He's going to be playing around with all the stuff that's underneath the bed, you know, the loft part and all that. And instead of getting scratched up by the rough edges, what's going to happen? He's going to hit the edge and he's going to keep going, playing, right? But if I didn't, you know, if I didn't go through and, and do all that, what's going to happen? He's going to come away with splinters. He's going to get all, he's not going to be happy about that bed at all. You see, when we fight, when we're in disunity, when we do not have harmony, it shows our rough edges. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come along and do a little sanding. Now, does sanding hurt? It depends on the grit, but yeah, it, it, it kind of makes you raw. You know what I'm saying? Kind of rubs away, you know, rubs away that rough edge. But over time, we start to smooth out. And when we get bumped not a huge deal people don't come away with splinters this allows the holy spirit to take our differences and turns it into harmony when false teachers or false doctrine come in we immediately and you know see it and say whoa, whoa, whoa that that hasn't been sanded yet let's try to correct that verse 7 it says accept one another then just as christ accepted you in order to bring praise to god when we live as Christians in harmony, it brings praise to God. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand, and we will pray for uh, our Thanksgiving meal. And I'm going to take off the Calvary Chapel. Josh, you want to lead us in one last song. And, uh, and like I said, as you go out to the meal, go around the edge where the kid tables are outside. Do the line that way to make it a lot easier. So... Why don't we pray for her? And, and don't wait for me to walk over there and pray for the meal because I'm not going to be over there. So we're going to pray for her right now. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are a beautiful Lord. Uh, you're a beautiful God. Uh, we don't like it when you sand the rough edges off of us. It's irritating. It takes a while sometimes. But Lord, when, when you work on us, what comes out is a beautiful peace that the world is impressed with. That when the world 
is around us, when they hang off of us, when they bump us, they, they don't get splinters all over them. And I pray that you can do that within our church and within our community of churches, that we come together and we represent you and we have unity. We thank you for allowing us to have Thanksgiving in this wonderful country where many people across this world cannot gather like we gather. We pray for those that are persecuted in the church, but we thank you for allowing us to. And may we use that to affect our community. Pray for this meal, Lord, that you would bless it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.